Hello and welcome to a new episode of Hello, I'm Listening with your main host, Danny. And your main main host, or most important host, or VIP host, Wifi. VIP host. Yes. Wow. What does VIP stand for? Very in... Very important person. No, I think it's very important. Infertile penis. <laughs> yes. Um, we have an exciting episode today. Yeah. So because... we just quickly go into it because it's long. What? Let's go into what it is because it's a long I episode. was just about to, but oh, you sorry. started saying let's go into it and now you're just wasting more time. By so, do it. Do it. We have a very exciting episode today because we have a guest, Poppy, from the podcast Confessions of a Closet Romantic. Um, and Confessions of a Closet Closet. Romantic is a cozy, open-hearted, shameless look at the best and most interesting romantic TV shows, movies, and books, reflecting on a particular trope or theme each episode. Yes. And we have Poppy on to discuss. We were on her podcast. Yeah. And you can listen to that on her page. Probably page? like is that what you three call weeks, it? I don't four know weeks. What you call it. Yeah. And but we'll post it on social media as so soon you as it's know. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Just as a little disclaimer, we the the conversation starts a bit abruptly and also ends a bit abruptly. There's no real like, okay, bye. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we just got really into the conversation and just kind of ended it at some point and continued after recording. So. Right. Um, but enjoy this episode. She's a delight. and She's a very delightful and knowledgeable and interesting person. And if you love learning about sexuality and if you love romantic movies you should definitely check out her podcast absolutely yeah so Have here fun. we go okay let's see maybe i'll start with why i started confessions of a closet romantic and so this podcast came about right at the start of the pandemic and it was um i had thought and when I say I had thought about doing a podcast for 10 years previous to starting my podcast, I'm not lying. I had worked in book publishing. I had worked as a professional writer. I was a journalist. And I always had this idea. I had loved a lot of national public radio shows. And I thought, I want to get in radio. And I had tried a couple times and the gatekeeping was really firm and I, I just couldn't break in. And I thought, I listen to podcasts, and I have for a long time, like almost right from the beginning of podcast invention. And I was like, well, why don't I do a podcast? And I hemmed and hawed for literally a decade in fear. And then the, the pandemic comes along, and I find Outlander when I'm looking for something to watch, something epic that's going to absorb me in this stressful time. And my reaction to that show and how absorbing it was the romance the lush adventure and all that and i thought you know i've been searching around for a topic or a way into audio and i have always loved romance like this why don't i talk about that and then immediately on the heels of that thought was a little shameful voice remember how people used to make fun of you for reading bodice rippers remember mm -hmm. I'd see you on the bus or you might be holding a romance and they would think that was just really hilarious that you, a woman, like to read about love and connection. Oh, tee hee, how funny. And I am just about stubborn enough that as soon as that thought came to me, I was like, you know how I'm going to overcome that shame? 
I'm going to talk worldwide about that topic every two weeks on a new podcast. That's how I'm going <laughs> to handle that. And so I decided because I'm a former Catholic school girl, the word confessions was a very important part mm. of it. It felt like I was kind of saying in a hushed voice, has anyone else seen this Jane Austen adaptation? Did you see the kiss in that? Did you see how he looked at her? Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. <laughs> so it started out with a lot of, I've always loved costume dramas, but I surprised myself very quickly within a few months of all the things I found I wanted to talk about in terms of my own life and mm -hmm. romance and connection and relationship. And so I've been at it two years and I just keep following those interests and those curiosities. Like I recently got on dating apps. I need my head examined. Okay, I finally decided, I think I'm done. I was single by choice. I think I'm done being single. Um, so I'm planning an episode on dating rom-coms, you know? So mm -hmm. it was happening in my life and I, I found it to be the most amazing experience in that way that I can make it a part memoir I can make it part film review, part book review, and it's always on topics and romances that reflect what are going on in my own life. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Do you, uh, because you mentioned that you were a former Catholic schoolgirl, um, do you feel like growing up in that environment that a lot of do, do you feel like you have feelings of shame around sexuality and around that are kind of just drilled into your brain that you still struggle like when you're recording an episode of your podcast does is there ever a little voice in your head that's like you can't talk about that Danny get out of my head how did you know <laughs> okay, okay but in the, especially in the beginning so my show is solo and scripted and I aim for an invisible script and I'm I've gotten better and better as time has gone on with that but in the beginning when I was writing the scripts it was a lot about the shows and only glancing on myself like oh I mm -hmm. love that kiss but I didn't really elaborate much but then very quickly, I thought people are going to tune in because they want to know what is Poppy thinking about this particular romance? Why does she think that sex scene is so great or that kiss? And I decided that uh, that was the reason I started the show to talk about why I myself love these things. And I used to my intro used to say I talk about these things without embarrassment or shame, mostly. Because as I was writing the scripts, I'd be like, I'm this age and I'm like going goo goo over Keanu Reeves. Can I do that? <laughs> and then I said to myself, hell yes, you can. I mean, who is telling me that I can or can't do something? And I'm saying this is what this looks like at the age I am. Like, I love it. I am going to say out loud and risk being silly and that I think that some other listeners may be getting a feeling of empowerment from me being silly and vulnerable like that. Mm -hmm. And I decided to lean into that so much so that as I have gone forward on social media, especially Twitter talking, I've started to talk to other writers. Then it was erotic writers because my pod is about relationships and connection, and it seemed like a natural extension, right? 
Mm -hmm. This is part of romance. That's why we show up for these movies. Okay. So then as I went forward, I was like, I'm going to do an episode on kink in romance. Because I had read some really super kinky romances. And I'm writing like (laughs) movies. And then I talked about why can't you find movies that represent. These are pretty mild kinks. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a, they like, I don't know, 75% of Americans dream of being spanked in the bedroom, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to talk about that out loud. Of course I am. And I romance is set in a BDSM club that I happened to discover just a short while before that. And I loved, and I surprised myself. And so when I'm putting episodes like that together, I trust that if I'm surprised by how much I love something, and if I talk about why, that I can bring listeners along with me and that maybe they might have been ashamed of even thinking about, oh, I think I might want to be spanked or have a threesome, but I would never tell a friend. But Poppy will talk about that on her podcast that she read this phenomenal book with a threesome mm-hmm. that maybe now I can actually um, just try that fantasy on for size and see. So my show, I would say my show went from Jane Austen costume adaptations, which are phenomenal and always <laughs> to kink and romance, you know, and even beyond. Cause I recently did an episode on the Netflix show, how to build a sex room. Have you mm-hmm. two watched that show? I have yeah. not. And you, you watched watch it. Would, yeah. I would watch it. Okay. It's a, it's amazing, right? It's sex positive, age positive, mm-hmm. body positive. It's really an amazing show. So Yes, I have grown with my show, and that has been one of the best things that I really stopped using that intro because I don't feel a lot of embarrassment or shame anymore. And that, to me, is like something I could have never imagined in the beginning when I was so nervous you could hear my voice shaking. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. were nervous when you started, but... oh yeah. I was nervous to take a seat at the table and just say what I felt and just talk freely. And now you can't stop me. Also, I have to say, um, first of all, your editing on your podcast is outstanding. It's so good, especially when you throw in those little pieces of movies and series. It's so well done and it's so engaging and you can feel the, the, I don't know, just, just your, the pure joy you have talking to people, just talking about certain uh, things. Um, and you going into the next question, you already said it. Um, I think like the stigma around sexuality and sex and just being with someone you love and show them has been a very big one in society and also especially movies. And since you said you're a movie buff, um, if you look at like, um, American movies from the 60s, 70s compared to now and then also put in, like take some European movies like French or, or even um, uh, German movies, for example. How do you feel like um, the stigma or the, sex, the, the portray, portrayal of sexuality changed and maybe also should change more in terms of overcoming our, our own stigma? I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but but I feel like I feel like it changed a lot. But maybe maybe your take on it, I would be interested in. I, I feel I've so I was a film major in college, and um, 
I watched a lot of international film, which I don't know that a lot of Americans, you know, sometimes with <laughs> access, you know, it's like, and look at streaming platforms. That's a whole different topic, but streaming platforms now are starting to funnel what's available to us in a much more narrow way and not necessarily artistically in a good mm-hmm. way. And also, I think, Wolfgang, it's a really good point to make that, first of all, I don't include international films that often on my show because I use film clips. And if it's in another language, I can't really obviously do that. Um, But there are many international films. If I search for a title, like, I don't know, you know, or search for not a title, but a a topic, Um, a lot of international films come up and not a lot of American films. And usually it will be a topic that's about open sexuality, acceptance, um, things that American society considers taboo. So Mm -hmm. my feeling uh, is that I don't think American films are necessarily going in a good direction in that sense. I think they're getting, like our politics and our culture, it's reflecting a bit of aggressiveness. Like you went through, okay, three films in America before 1934. Very what we would call racy, but about topics like having affairs, being married, open relationships, just every everything that humans experience themselves, you will find in those pre-code films. Then we have the code and everything gets clamped down and innuendo has to be used and people understand what's being said, but it can't be said outright said outright important to note right mm-hmm. it's a, it can't be said outright or, or saying is there something to be shameful about it mm-hmm. i you know with my catholic upbringing that's another thing i reject now it's like i if i want to talk about it and it's important to me i should be able to talk about this okay so then we go to the 60s and 70s and things start to open up a little bit but there's um there's sometimes still a lot of sexism and there's some exploitation of these topics of free love and sex and desire for both genders. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in those decades. And then as we go forward to now, sometimes I look around and a favorite topic of mine, because I'm well over 40 is love, sex and romance over 40. Mm-hmm. Where the movies that represent people of all generations find love and romance and good sex. Where mm-hmm. are they? And it, it, I will periodically search and I can find things like um, Book Club, which was an amazing film. You can find a movie like Something's Gotta Give. But the reason you can remember that is because they are just the occasional films. Yeah, yeah. You know? don't know that we're going in a super positive direction on the topic of love and sex. And like I said before, just looking into the topic of consensual non-monogamy, there's still, Mm -hmm. because it's dramatic, I get it, in a script, uh, a kitchen table polyamory where everybody sits around a kitchen table and talks about how much they love each other (laughs) and are totally cool and not judgmental or jealous about sleeping with each other. That doesn't always make for the greatest drama, you know, Mm -hmm. but I get a little bit sick of now looking at this binary monogamy, cheating, um, 
these sort of black and white ways. And even in rom-coms, it can sometimes be a bit limited. Mm -hmm. I feel like European films are much more courageous. Like we were talking about before midnight. Um, They're much more courageous about just simply like opening the lens and presenting a slice of realistic life. That, that that would be enough for us to live through authentic experiences with these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. American films don't seem to trust that, like that, want to encourage that. It's all about superheroes, black and white thinking, <laughs> good guys, bad guys, right? This is our yeah. culture. Yeah. Uh, monogamy, not monogamy. It's it's very binary sometimes. So lately, I do find it it's a little defeating sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but, movies yeah. in general in the US is more about showing off technology and just how much budget you can put in mm-hmm. versus just the pure art of showing people and relationships. And if you think, like, I don't know if you've seen... Uh, movies from Norway, for example, or Sweden and stuff, those movies are often very raw, dramatic, and also, like, sub- they put subjects on the table like um, rape, um, child molestation, uh, self, uh, 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 yeah, self-harm, and, uh, like, mm-hmm. like depression and stuff, like, like real stuff. And those movies are not often super easy to watch, obviously, but at the same time, the the i don't know just the human experience and everything they show is so much better than most of the things that come out of the us i i will say i think to the i i will say i think to the and this isn't i wouldn't say to the credit of the us but one thing that is positive in terms of um what seems to be becoming more of a trend is shows for young people that explore sexuality and explore it's okay you know it's not just black and white you know there's so many different things that you can identify as and enjoy and that's okay and i think my favorite example of that is sex education right you're making good points yes that show is so brilliantly made and so and and also, I mean, Heartstopper. Heartstopper for me is that was my coming out show. I recently came out as bisexual, and it, that show inspired me to really think about my sexuality because I identified so much with the main character. I've never seen it. Tell me oh, about the show. Oh, please watch it if you if you're a sap for for romance. It's it's just beautiful. It's a great show. It's it's a story basically of you know we love coming of age. We talked about that on your podcast, but. Um, it's essentially a coming-of-age style show about... It's originally a, a comic or a, a graphic novel mm-hmm. um, that got adapted into this show. And it's uh, about a, a young boy who is openly out as I think he's identifies as homosexual. He's, yeah. And uh, he meets this guy in his class and, you know, he's kind of like a jock and is always like, you know, locker room talk with the guys, but he starts having feelings for this kid that he met and he starts this other kid, this jock kid starts questioning his sexuality and the just But it's also a British show, isn't it? They're in London, isn't it? Are they? I think so. No, I don't think so. Yeah, they go to Brighton. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um but it's so beautiful the the way that they 
because the, you know there's a lot of a, a friend of mine has been talking a lot about queer joy and he says that you know there are so many stories about coming out as bisexual or gay and there's often so much heartbreak behind them where it is a nice story but there's so much heartbreak and it's just a constant reminder of how difficult it can be but there are very few adaptations of that where they show the pure joy of it and heartstopper shows the pure joy yeah it shows the struggle but more of the pure joy and it's beautiful and i think that is a very valid um criticism by african-americans about every time there's a significant african-american character in something american made it's always about the trauma yeah. like mm -hmm. it's like trauma porn and it's very hard to find representation of uh i can be fat and really happy mm -hmm. i can be gay and really happy it doesn't mean that we don't have challenges yeah. have you seen the show shrill with um ad bryant no no we have not no but i love ad bryant it's based on a wonderful book by lindy west and that whole show is about i'm fat but also it's not mm -hmm. That therefore that's the punchline. It's mm -hmm. I'm fat and I get a lot of sex that I love. I'm fat and I have a really great job. I'm fat and I'm trying to figure out my way through life as a young woman. So again, it reminds mm -hmm. me being fat is often a punchline, and you don't often find shows that just show fat people living their wonderful lives. Yeah, yeah. It's the same with being gay or African American. Sometimes it's like just let us live our lives. Let us find our joys without um, having to make it into trauma porn. Because it's not, that's not how we feel about, yeah. you know, about our lives. So I love that recommendation. I have to look that up because I try to highlight um, as much diversity as I can. And also shows that represent marginalized groups in positive ways like mm -hmm. that. That's, mm -hmm. like, that's what I always live to find, you know. You you answered that the next question already partly, but I still want to an, uh, ask you the question because I think maybe you have something else or add to that. But um, what is something you've learned about yourself doing the podcast or that has changed you? Good question. Okay, uh, I think it was the year to year and a half mark of doing my podcast. And I did a little series called Learning from Romance. And I summarized... What I have learned from looking at all of this romantic themed art, whether it's books, TV shows or movies. And that is when I discovered that I'm demisexual, which if listeners don't know, it's on the asexual spectrum. It's a sexual orientation. And it simply means, at least for me, um, you need to know someone and bond with them emotionally before you can sleep with them. So mm -hmm. if so I used to joke that I love the friends to lovers trope. I love that trope. I can't get enough of that in books or movies. You know, we're intimate and getting to know each other. And oh my God, we both caught feelings. And that it really happened in my life all throughout because I got to know someone so well and then saw them as a sexual being. And that's what being demisexual is about. There's no spontaneous desire. And I was so shocked that I I was like, yo, I got to this year's old and 
and I never knew this about myself. How did I not? And I really do credit romantic uh, novel writers, though, too, because they strive, a lot of them strive to represent lots of different voices, different types of characters. And I think it must have been in one of those books where they highlighted that orientation or they talked about Mm -hmm. this slightly different. So imagine, I do a podcast thinking I'm going to talk about these lovely Jane Austen costume dramas that I love so much and and all that choreographing of those dance scenes. They all have them. I love everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I think that's what I'm going to talk about. But then it evolves and it gently grows and it keeps evolving. And then I find out that I actually identify. It's a queer orientation. I never knew it existed. I never knew that was who I was. And I find that out. And there have been a lot of other little life lessons that I have learned from doing the show. So it's just amazing to me that just, Planning a podcast could bring those kinds of realizations. I mean, and and all sorts of lighter, fun things, too. Like, oh, I think I do like to be kinky in the bedroom. You know, just little things like that. Or, you know, just from reading and watching, these are the things that I've learned. So you'll never say to me, like, culture and art have always been important to me, and especially film, but you'll never tell me that art is unnecessary for Mm -hmm. women because... I've learned so much from living through the constructs of others in art. Do you think that there are, because I, like I said before, I think in a lot of romantic comedies, and when I say before, I don't actually know if it's when we were talking on our podcast or on yours, (laughs) but um, I had mentioned in romantic comedies, a lot of the time my issue is the gender roles in those and how women are portrayed and how men are portrayed and how there is kind of no in-between. It's becoming more, but it's always very A plus B equals C. And have do you feel like we can still learn something from romantic comedies or do you feel like there are lessons that should be taught in romantic comedies that are not being taught? I think... I think one good thing about the formula, if there is a good thing about it, is that the very predictability of it and the Mm -hmm. that you have, right? Every time. So the formula is happy ever after or happy for now. That's why we show up, right? Especially in a troubled time. I don't want to read a story that is romantic, but it has a murder at the center of it, right? It's a choice that I made. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that formula. That said, anytime somebody injects something slightly skewed, you know, something just a little to the left of that formula, let's just say, why can't we have a rom-com with a non-binary person? Mm -hmm. Why can't we have a rom-com with a trans person? Like, wouldn't that be really amazing? And the, we were still getting the formula that feels so satisfying and comforting. But we're also, like we were just talking about, we're enlarging our viewpoint as people. And that's why I love art. I don't want to see art that's about people like me. I want to live a life through people making different choices. Mm-hmm. I would say to you that I think the 
problem is, and Wolfgang, you've given me the idea that I really need to explore more English language uh, romantic movies. I'm going to do that as a result of talking with you because I feel like Hollywood is not exactly progressing in that way. I mean, you know, you'll read lately, there was a renaissance of rom-coms in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and then they went away. And you could argue, why did they go away? Just like romantic um, or romances, my pet theory, and I am totally biased, is because they're not that interested in what makes women happy. Mm-hmm. These young, these mythical 14-year-old boys with $20 to spend on a, <laughs> a Marvel movie, these are the people they're interested in. And so you, you didn't find a lot of movies like Book Club with all those beautiful older actresses, you know. But then now they're saying there is a renaissance again and that there is a movement towards movies like that again. So... I just feel like, to answer your question, it's like, I don't know that they feel there's any money in that diversity and mm-hmm. those types of intimate stories. I love them. My friends love them. I will stream those. I will rent those. I will go to the movie theater to watch those those types of movies. But they don't care about people like me, I guess, because they're just, they're, if they did, they would be making more of those movies. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating. Yeah, that's not where the money is, yeah. Right. Or the big, let's just say this. I bet there is money. It's where there isn't big money. Yeah. Yeah. To know how much or how well Marry Me with J-Lo did. Remember that that movie? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was really very delightful. It was quite formulaic, but the two of them, I thought, did a, a nice job. Okay, well... They, do you remember that was released on Valentine's Day last mm-hmm. year? So it's like, okay, I bet you a lot of couples paid money to stream that at home and or went to the movie theater to watch that movie. I think there is an audience for it. I just yeah. don't think it's blockbuster money. I think mm-hmm. all after those huge tentpole movies, it's almost like, it's like book publishing. Oh, we could make a, we could make, you know, twenty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars, and a bunch of those add up to some good money. But we want that one big blockbuster, which looks mm-hmm. so, you know, mm-hmm. and our so it's it's to me very frustrating. Very. I guess I guess a big reason for that was also the the as you said the predictability and also the the likenesses. I mean, most of those movies, especially in the late. Uh, 2000 like 2010 and later most of those movies were just felt like the same they they didn't really they didn't really different they weren't that different from each other anymore and also they went more into that quirky comedy like they they kind of drifted from romantic comedy to quirky comedy which not in every sense is bad but i think the the indie indie companies the indie production studios took over that like I mean, Bros, the new movie with uh, what is his name, Billy Eichner. I mean, that's a, that's a big Hollywood movie. That's with big Hollywood people behind it. But that shows, and I I hope that the movie does well because that shows that there is still audience for for movies like that, and especially movies that maybe show out of the box, uh, out of the ordinary couples, so to say, 
where it's not a woman and a man, but it's two males in that in that mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, example, for example. So I think I totally agree that that uh, there is an audience, and I hope that bigger movie studios sh- see that because I would love to see some good, refreshing mm-hmm. romantic comedies again. And back to your point too, Poppy, I would love to also see when you mentioned that there's not really a a lot of movies with, you know, 40 and over people Mm -hmm. trying to second chance romance type of movies. That's, there's not a lot of it. And I would also love to see more of that. The Leo Grande movie is a good example for that. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I can't stop talking about that movie. (laughs) I did a whole episode on it. Yeah. Every time I... I can't stop bringing it up because it seems to relate to everything in my life. But that was a very beautiful little chamber piece. It was so well done. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really zeroed in on a very important stage of a woman's life, at least in our cultures, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I don't know without Emma Thompson if that would have gotten made, but it was a very beautiful choice to make like let's take a look at a subset of our culture that's often not only invisible it's like you don't it's like oh are they actually talking women over 40 i'm sorry god i can't Mm -hmm. even you know um it's if our lives end when men decide we're not fuckable anymore which is Mm -hmm. just did you did you all see the um Let's see, it was Tina Fey, it was Amy Poehler, I think it was Amy Schumer did the, the Our Last Day of Being Fuckable, that little fake um, YouTube video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One. Did you see that where, one? No. Okay, where they're, they're all at a picnic bench and they're ostensibly getting together because they've decided that they've all gotten to the point in their career where they're no longer fuckable and they wanted to like <laughs> open like a bottle of wine and just be like, Oh, cheers. This is your last day of being fuckable, you know? And it was funny, but the reason it was funny was because it was so damn true, you know? And and you knew that all those women were not going to take that sitting down, that they absolutely... I mean, look at Amy Schumer. I've, I've featured her often in the pod, you know, train wreck and mm-hmm. that, that sex scene with John Cena. Mm-hmm. And it, <laughs> okay, girl, you know... You had the choice to cast this guy and the balls to do that, to be like, and she's not even that old, but I'm just saying it was like, what's the hunkiest, sexiest lay that I could imagine? <laughs> and I'm going to cast him in my movie because I can, because I'm powerful, because I have the choice to make that choice. Mm-hmm. And there is something like really... I watch a lot of female stand-up specials, and to me, um, there's just something so empowering about seeing women do these things, talk about these things. And even the book club was a little slick. It was still making a comment about these women going after men of their age um, and you know what? Hey, more power to you. If you want to sleep, if you're 16, you want to sleep with the guy's 40, there's no sex police. I mean, go for it, you know? So I've gotten, I feel like I've gotten a lot more militant about um, who we, who's represented in our media that we're supposed to, like, if you want me to consume this, 
you better bloody well make sure that people like me are represented and not made fun of and made the punchline. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Goes, that goes for pe- people who don't look like me. It goes for people who aren't my size. It goes for we're all in that same, we're in that same ecosystem. We need to support representation is so important. And, you know, Danny, I had a friend in real life. She was talking about, so my handy person is lesbian and has been for a very long time, but her wife, Lauren, uh, just discovered she fell in love with Julie and then was like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is what I've learned too. That doesn't make you lesbian, that you love a lesbian and sleep with a lesbian, mm-hmm. right? They're these right. It's very yeah. granular, right? Um, we can feel romantic towards someone, and that doesn't make us necessarily one thing or another. Okay, but Lauren decided, oh, you know what? I think I am lesbian. Then as she was talking out loud, she was like, but I kind of still like sleeping with men. And I'm like, so we can be bisexual? <laughs> like, I, I was thinking... Feel like we all could use as many role models as we possibly can get for all of these beautiful human variations on the mm-hmm. you know? It's yeah. like it's to me the fluidity now is just gorgeous. Yeah. I and they don't feel like constricting labels, they feel empowering to me. Yeah. I agree. And if I can find art um, to put on my pod that represents, you know, these different types of ways of being, I try so hard to find them because, and to talk about them. I say a lot to my listeners, you know, you know that discovered, it's okay the way you want to have sex and it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay, like on my episode on how to build a sex room, I'm like, you know what, take a look at this show and then go do a Google search. It's totally safe to just do a search in the privacy of your own home and say, I wonder if I would like that. <laughs> if I wanna, no, I mean, there's some people growing up the way I did, they would think the thunderbolt's going to come down yeah. and strike them for looking at floggers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, I feel like, I hope I'm that person who says, I'm right there with you in the same boat. I'm exploring all these things myself, and there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Representation matters, you know? It really does. Absolutely. Uh, but it's beautiful. You make you make a good point, yeah. I think the, the society and growing up, especially, I mean, you grew up way before we did, but, you, you know, know we, we, we even, I still got the... <laughs> Not way, way before, before sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, but <laughs> a couple of years before we did. Um, so, so, and the, the the roles, even when I grew up, the roles were still so like tight and so you are a boy and that's what you like and that's what you do and that's what you don't do and that's it. Mm-hmm. And And with that comes so much anger, so much frustration, so much problems in later life that we right now are breaking up those constructions and all those those things and thankfully a lot of people are going with that and and are open towards that there's still a small percentage who are like no 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 blah 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 because of the bible or because of what what god said or whatever they use of an excuse but i love the idea of just being who you are without feeling 
judged or yeah. without feeling put into a box. And if you move from one box to the other, just because it makes you feel good, then do it. Yeah. Right. This is, it's all about, there's nothing in cement about any of this. And I think what I do love about it, so I'm on two kink dating apps. And what I love about them versus, you know, say Tinder or whatever, is that people understand these labels are simply a way to contain ideas, but that communication is foremost when you meet these people on these apps. You mm-hmm. right away, there's no BS. It's like you just get right down to, oh, are you into leather? I'm, I don't think I understand that world very well. Can you explain to me what you like about that or what you're looking for? This is communication I don't think I've ever had with previous lovers. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's really granular. You like anal? Oh, interesting. I haven't had that much experience. Okay, in in my previous life, like say pre-pod even, I would have been mortified to mm-hmm. have conversation. Yeah. Absolutely mortified. But now, especially Wolfgang, don't you feel like the you the you the European countries, I think, have always been a little more open about um, the the perception of males. What do you think? Yes or no? I would say yes, but not all of them. Germany and Austria are very, still very con- conservative in a lot of ways. And I feel like we are a little behind the U.S. in that sense, at least probably some states, not all of them, obviously, but... Yeah, it's, it's, for example, my uncles and my father, and so they're like 50, 60, around that age, they're still very like conservative and very like, okay, this is the role of a woman, this is the role of a man. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but, it, but you know, it's getting there. And a lot of younger people and a lot of people who are already older are seeing that um, a life without those um limits or those those box or those those constraints is way better and and you can be way happier mm-hmm. yes well and i think there's something i mean danny i don't know and it's such a personal decision whether or not to talk about your identity mm-hmm. um, i just definitely know that there are some people in my family i would never in a million years ever make myself vulnerable and you know mm-hmm. i feel like that's such a shame because there are a lot of older people who are just like, live, you know, live your life, be happy. Yeah. Not, it's not threatening me that you know, your sexual identity. So why not, you know? Yeah, I find that a little bit disappointing sometimes that yeah. I get that it's a lot of, especially the religious conditioning. That mm-hmm. can be intense. And it can be very pervasive in their life where they... You know, my ex-boyfriend, I mean, one of the reasons we broke up was he was a very devout Catholic. And he said something to me about, uh, you know, hate the sin, not the sinner in terms of homosexuality. And I was like, oh, dude, no, I wow. absolutely no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is not okay with me. And I feel like in immersing myself in romance and romantic stories has, has only 
enlarged that feeling I have of we're all in the human family and there is nothing inherently wrong with the way that we identify. And that to me, and that doesn't come from just watching Hollywood output. There are a lot of times, a lot of TV shows, like um, what was the one where uh, Jeffrey Tambor was a trans... uh, Oh, the Prime Prime Show, what was it called? I don't remember. I don't remember the name, but it was a great show. Right, great, okay. I, I swear, 10 years before that, I, I don't know that I could have imagined a show like that being made. So mm-hmm. I feel like in some little pockets, we're making some good progress, but yeah. then mm-hmm. like in others, we're not. And maybe it's the golden age of TV that will save us in that sense and get us some really good representation. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It was very lovely to talk to you. We don't want to keep you longer. Okay. Um, you two are delightful, and I'm so grateful that we could have this time. So we just finished talking to Poppy for almost two hours. and I honestly could have talked to her for yeah. like three more hours at least. She's a very approachable and talkative and open person. And, you know, the thing about podcasting is the best thing. I mean, we said that multiple times before, and every time we have a guest we say that afterwards where this is the best part about podcasting because you mm-hmm. talk to people you would never talk about. Talk to. Talk to, yeah. So, um, yeah, her podcast is called... Confessions of a Closet Romantic. Right. And she has a website called www.confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. And you can find her on Instagram and on Twitter, but she's mostly active on Twitter with mm-hmm. her handle at poppy underscore confesses. Yes. And you're saying and a lot and you say it very abruptly every time. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just want to say again, it was very cool to talk to her. Um, we have an episode coming out on her podcast with us being guests. Mm-hmm. And we talked about two movies so you chose Juno, Juno, and I chose the Before Midnight movie from the Mid- Before trilogy. And that was the base, but we ventured off, and it was like just a very delightful conversation. And it was. Yeah. Again, if you like what you hear, then please follow us on social media. And obviously, um, not that's bullshit. What? Subscribe. If you like what you hear, subscribe. And if you want to hear more about it, us or learn more about us, then follow us on our Instagram or whatever. And I feel like your brain is just all yeah, over the place. It's melting right now. <laughs> and again, um, follow Poppy on Twitter. That's where she is mostly active um, with her handle at Poppy Confesses. Um, and yeah. reach out to her because yeah. she likes talking to people. She told us that she likes to, when people reach out and just to talk about you know whatever yeah, but yeah but definitely reach out if you um want to hear more about her podcast if you have an idea that yeah. you would love to talk about i know that she would like that so and, yeah. as would we so please yeah. reach out to us yeah. too. <laughs> that's it that was a long episode everybody um yeah until next time watch out for deer Woo!